This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Golden Edge, presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. I felt all the plays, uh, no slow, bad angles, you know, just, uh, at least if you think it looked pretty good, then that's good, right? <laughs> I told you. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Review Journal's Golden Edge podcast coming at you with all the latest Golden Knights news and hot takery. I, of course, am Golden Knights reporter Ben Goats for the RJ. Sitting across from me is David Shane, also the RJ. Dave, how's it going? I'm great. Badgers. Badgers, baby. And then that hockey team gets going in a couple weeks with goal Caulfield. Yeah, I'm psyched. Well, my team was idle last week, so I'm not quite sharing your enthusiasm. I also uh-huh. wasn't watching college football on Saturday because I was watching the Golden Knights take on the San Jose Sharks back in the SAP Center for the first time since that last time. Yeah, they how were was there. that? I'm curious. Preseason revenge, baby. Yeah, yeah. The Knights got booed pretty good uh, as they went onto the ice, kind of as you would expect i would figure i'm sure flurry got the loudest of that yeah yeah maybe eakin probably i don't know eakin got booed when he touched the puck for the first time (laughs) poor guy which is it poor guy they should be cheering cody eakin yeah so right yeah they shouldn't be bad about what he did right right he saved the shark yeah basically yeah saved their season in a way uh we're gonna talk about that game and of course a lot more golden knights preseason action but before we do just a reminder that the golden edge podcast is presented by sdn sports mobile from station casinos uh that trip to san jose ended a very busy week for us dave because you were at two road preseason games i was at one road preseason game uh we've been working on a special section that i believe will hit the newsstands october 2nd so make sure to check that out that was a lot of work uh, behind the scenes that you had to put in But uh, from here on out, we're going to be on cruise control. It feels like the rest of training camp compared to that. And the Knights are kind of in that mode, too, where now they've gotten rid of a lot of the the clutter, I guess I'll say. I'll try to be kind about the guys that they had on the roster. And now they're really focused on the guys who are going to have a serious, serious look to make this team. Right. You know, they get the trip to Montana. You know, that'd be nice. On Bill Foley's gorgeous estate, I'm sure. Right. After our week last week. (laughs) be nice yeah. to go up there kick it for a little bit unplug but, uh, right right but uh yeah no they come back uh, i mean essentially they're going to come back from that and you know kind of as we're talking here early in the week but you know things really get ramped up the last you know three preseason games and then the last two especially jar glant really kind of basically said the last two are dress rehearsals he wants it pretty close you know to that final roster maybe one or two guys you know you know Guys, we can talk about here in a second that are that are probably going to you know be there till the end. They're going to give a look to you know all the way till the end. Maybe there's an injury or something that pops up. You know, you never you never kind of know. You know, last year we saw Alex Tuck, I believe, take a shot off the the foot maybe, and and he missed uh, you know a few games at the start of the season. 
Uh, Cody Eakin, I believe, was out uh, early. Yeah, yeah, for about two games. He missed yeah. the first two games. Came back for the Capitals right. game, I believe. So you know, I mean, you never know. Yeah, I mean, we we talk about these guys, and we'll talk about them going forward. But you know, we, we want to write them off, and 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 then you know, you never know what's going to happen. Somebody could get hurt. Somebody could emerge just you know over these next few games that you know changes a decision and things like that. So you know, we'll kind of see how how things kind of pan out, I guess, over the next few games, and then uh, you know what the Knights decide to do with that that final roster. Yeah, and the competition heats up, too, because, I mean, we can be quite frank. The lineup that the Sharks put out there on the ice Saturday was uh, no uh, great shakes, I'll put it kindly. It's a lot of Barracudas, uh, which is their (laughs) AHL affiliate that were out there. And, I mean, it's same for some of the teams the Knights have been playing kind of earlier on in the season. Yeah, the Colorado was definitely not the strongest team. uh... So as we get deeper into the preseason, it's not just the Knights that'll be fielding kind of a closer to their NHL type roster. A lot of these other teams will too, which will kind of test some of these younger unproven guys a little bit more. Uh, And let's talk about some of those guys right now. I mean, we've been harping on it for a while. The top two storylines in camp right now are the rookie defenseman and who's going to win a spot out of camp and Cody glass. I mean, the team's top prospect. I mean, I even went into that game against the sharks thinking, all right, I don't want to write about Cody Glass. We've written about Cody Glass every single time he's been on the ice for a preseason game. And then he centered Max Pacioretty and then either Alex Tucker, Riley Smith had to assist, played really well. You know, he just keeps kind of forcing his way into these conversations where he's going to stick around, I think, now until the very end of camp if he ends up leaving Las Vegas at all. I I mean, they're definitely giving him a long look. He's one of the guys that I would think would be around, you know, till the very end. Last year we saw Daniel Carr, you know, kind of as that last cut. He stuck around all the way till the very end. You know, they gave him every chance to to win a spot on that team. I think they're going to do the same, you know, with Cody Glass. They played him on the right wing, you know, early just to give him a chance. You know, Jargalant said, you know, got to give him a fair chance. Um, I, I mean, what, what's been interesting, I think, to me is is sort of been his evolution and progress you know, throughout this camp, during the rookie camp, you could kind of see him struggling a little bit just to generate offense for whatever reason. Um, whether it was because the team he was playing on was a little bit out-talented, uh, you know, by the other teams, or whether he was just pressing, whatever it might have been. And then all of a sudden in camp, you you kind of see him skating a lot with Max Pacioretty. Uh, you see him, you know, skating with, you know, more of those guys uh, that kind of allow him to be a creative force and, and things that that goal that he set up the the patch ready goal on on Saturday I thought was a great example because what was interesting to me was not so much the pass the pass was easy like nobody was really on him nobody's on patch ready it was the little you know knock up the stick and the takeaway and then kind of pivoting and putting himself in a position to open up and then see everything right you know that that was impressive it, it was subtle but it was it was impressive you know we haven't seen like the play from Cody Glass that NHL gifts you know, puts out or something like that, that, whoa, look out for this rookie. And and I feel like everybody's been waiting for that moment. Mm -hmm. But he's definitely gotten better as this has gone along. And you could see, you know, how close he is really to the NHL, I think, at this stage. I think you can tell that he just feels more comfortable, too. And I think the part of it, too, is that he is not a guy that's going to look to generate his own offense, at least. I mean, he is kind of a Paul Stasny type where he would rather get 70 assists in a season than like 30 goals. I mean, then that's just the type of player he is. He will always look to pass first. It seems, I mean, he could use a little bit more of a shooter's mentality probably as he kind of develops uh, into, you know, a two way center in the NHL. 
But for now, I mean, he's a playmaker that's trying to set up guys. So having him play with a guy like Max Pacioretty works out perfectly where Pacioretty's going to be like, yeah, I'll take the shot if you give me the pass. And so that was a really intriguing look Saturday. Um, Thursday, as you said, that right wing look was really intriguing, especially because it came with Alex Tuck on the left wing, Cody Eakin at center. So it was very, very obvious. This could be our third line. Let's see if it worked. It didn't really for about eight minutes there, but that's a very small sample size when you're talking about Tuck moving to his off wing and then Cody Glass playing a position he hasn't really in a while. But that just really struck me as that they're giving this 20-year-old every opportunity to say that he belongs, which really leads to an interesting roster conversation. I mean, what they have, obviously, Cody Eakin kind of, we thought, coming into camp, entrenched at third line center. Um, I still think that's probably going to be the case, barring something coming up. I would agree. I but mean, unless there's an injury, yeah. Is there any debate in your mind, and that's maybe in the Golden Knights' mind, of whether, you know, right now to start the season, you would prefer Cody Glass or Cody Eakin just as a player? Well, so I know, I mean, George McPhee and Jargonlant love Cody Eakin and kind of his flexibility, and I think what he showed last year, versatility, that he can play on that third line. He can be kind of a defensive center a little bit, you know, if you need him in that role. I think he's grown into that role. Because the one thing about Cody Eakin is Cody Eakin was a big scorer in juniors. Cody Eakin kind of came into the league as a guy who was supposed to score a little bit. Early in his career, you know, he had kind of a 40-point season in Dallas. You saw, you know, Wright flirting with, you know, that 20-goal mark. And and then, you know, for whatever reason in Dallas, it never clicked after that. He came here and Gerard Glant kind of really put him into that third line early on. He wanted him in that in, in more of that defensive role. But last year, we saw his ability to go up and play in that in that second line and, and things like that. So in terms of do I like Cody Glass over Cody Eakin? I don't know because I think there's a lot that, that Cody Eakin brings. I'll throw another possibility at you though. And and because I think this potentially is something that that they're thinking more and more of based on the way that Cody Glass is playing is would you would you consider Cody Eakin on your fourth line in between say Reeves and Carrier and then have Glass centering that third line yeah that's something I think you at least have to think about at this point that's something that I know uh, when we talked about it kind of leading in to this training camp we weren't so sure about because Cody Eakin's got that 3.75 million dollar cap hit that's generally way too pricey. Uh, for yeah, that's a pricey fourth line. Center, I mean, we just right. saw them uh, have Pierre Edouard Belmar leave as their fourth line setter over. I believe he got one point eight million dollars per year with the Colorado Avalanche. So now you're talking about putting a guy who makes more than double that on your fourth line, which would certainly be intriguing. But obviously, I mean, Cody Eakin's an impending free agent. The math obviously works out for this year, which is all you need it to. But I would not be shocked if their next preseason game, which will actually happen uh, by the time you hear this, we're recording on Monday because it's an off day and Dave and I can actually chillax for once and take this uh, at our leisure. Um, but when they have a preseason game at home Wednesday, I'll be intrigued uh, to see what kind of lineups they put together then and for the rest of the preseason because they haven't been exactly subtle with their lineups. There's been a lot of intentionality that you can read into with who's playing with who and who's playing where on the lineup. Well, I know one of the things has definitely been Cody Glass and Max Pacioretty. And, yep. and whether that's, you know, hey, we're going to see this two years down the line, whether we could see something on injury or what, you know, 
that seems to be a combination that Gerard Gallant is definitely saying, we're just going to see, you know, we're going to see what kind of chemistry, you know, we can build there because potentially something could happen. I mean, now here's the other thing too. I, if, if Cody Glass doesn't make this team, I mean, that doesn't mean he's not going to play for the Knights this year. He, he can, uh, yeah, he absolutely will. I'm pretty right. convinced. I, I mean, I think at some point, yeah, he's going to make his NHL debut. I would think this season because, you know, somebody's bound to get hurt, or he's just going to play his way into the lineup where they say, "Look, we got to give him a," you know, he's earned it. However, it shakes out, you know, what whatever they have to do. We've seen Jordan McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon be very creative with the roster, you know, and and how they construct it and things based on waivers and. And all that other sort of stuff, and and if they want to get Cody Glass into the lineup at some point in this season, they're going to do it. I would fully expect it. The question is kind of where, yeah. you know, it, do you wait until a top six spot opens up because that's kind of eventually where Cody Glass is going to going to slot in that that's his spot, or do you just kind of you know say hey, you know, let's get him some experience even if it's on a third line. You know, get his feet wet, get him, you know, 30 games or, or whatever it might be. Maybe it's more than that. Um, I, you know, I don't know. But at some point, I would think, again, if even if he goes down, I would expect him to make his debut this season. Yeah, I think the more interesting question is not whether Cody Glass starts on the roster uh, after training camp, even though obviously we just spent a lot of time talking about it because it's one of the more interesting things in an overall, you know, pretty low-key training camp. But where he finishes, because that's going to be, I'm sure, a storyline that we'll track all season, where he is at in his development, either in the NHL, AHL or the NHL, and where he might potentially end up in the lineup, you know, if and when the Golden Knights end up making the playoffs for the third straight season. Uh, now let's move on to the other big training camp battle, the rookie defenseman. I mean, I think we've said this a lot, but it just really feels like Dylan Coughlin is emerging a little bit. I wouldn't say he's just, you know, like kicked down the door and said like, it's me and you can't send me back to Chicago, but he certainly seems to be kind of the leader in the clubhouse right now. He had a really good, or at least a noteworthy game, I thought, against the Sharks where you could see his puck moving abilities. You could see the offense he can generate with his really good shot. He actually shook up a Sharks forward who dared block it. Um, dared. He dared. <laughs> They'll learn. Exactly. We'll see. Uh, he also broke up a two-on-one at one point. He pinned a guy to the boards in the corner at one point, which was something that, I mean, really had me take notice of, like, okay, like, he's stepping up, he's playing physical. I mean, that's obviously going to be the big question mark with him is can he hold up in the defensive zone? And for at least that game, he was showing a willingness of, like, no, I'm here, I'm willing to go in the corner, I'm going to mix it up, you know, I want to be on this team. Like I said, I don't think he's, you know, necessarily making it, you know, him versus the field, but I would certainly call him, you know, the betting favorite at this point. Yeah, it's hard for me to kind of handicap it just because it's hard for me to fully get into, I guess, management's head on on how they're constructing all of this and, That's and what exactly they're looking for. Um, you know, we've seen a few pairings that that – you know, we saw Dylan Coggan with like John Merrill a lot, which you could see like that's a potential that's, third pairing. So that's a real NHL pairing, right? You know, so that's something you know that they go out there and let's see, let's see how it works. That might be something we see down the road. So let's evaluate it. Uh, I mean, the other one that we've seen obviously is is Nick Hagen and, and Nate Schmidt. We'll kind of talk about you know Nick Hagen I think here in a second. You know, but as far as Dylan Coggan, you know, one of the things that that really stood out to me and I was kicking myself because I wanted to try to include this in my story, was his willingness and ability to 
jump into the neutral zone to break up a play, break up a play from the other team, like before it even starts, he'll, you know, he'll step up there and, and just disrupt everything. And, and it's, you know, it's almost, you know, just to use the, you know, Steve Karp always used to joke mm-hmm. about the Shang Pang pinch. I mean, in a way, it's almost like a neutral zone pinch. Right. You know, where, where he'll just kind of come he'll in and he'll, step read, up, yeah, yeah. he'll read that play and he'll break it up early. It was the one thing that I really kind of noticed that he seemed to have a knack for. I mean, obviously, if you miss it, you know, you're out of position and, you know, you hope your partner's covering for you. Um, that's part of playing with somebody and, and the other guy understanding, hey, he likes to do this. I got to make sure. You know, I'm aware and whatever, you know, but if you're not missing it, the way the Golden Knights transition, you know, one of the things it was interesting, Rocky Thompson was talking to me in, in the rookie camp one time um, about one of the players in, in uh, Ronberg and the way that he kind of back checks. That's a big part of his game and, and the way the Golden Knights transition. They take that back check and when they create that turnover, they transition so quickly in into offense when a guy like Dylan Coggin is, is stepping up in the neutral zone and breaking something up, the Knights can transition off that so quickly and they're able to create so many chances. He's a guy that his vision, he's shown vision. Yeah. You know, that he sure. can then, if it, depending on what happens on a, on a particular play, if he ends up with the puck, you know, he's a head up guy that's going to find somebody quick, you know, and if he, I could just, you know, see somebody cutting in diagonally. You know, boom! You got a breakaway blue line in or something. If, if, if he's able to hit you, he's—I mean—he's able to do those types of things. We've seen the shot. You know, we, we've we've kind of talked about you know him being a little bit of a Colin Miller clone and things like that. Not just us, John Merrill. One John Merrill yeah. also agreed with that when I uh, posited to that to him after the Sharks game. He was like, "Yeah, that actually—they do remind me of each other." You know, so so with that, you know, you, you, we've seen him on the power play. The one thing I haven't really seen from him in the preseason so far is really running a power play efficiently. It, it doesn't feel like he's been out there when they've been kind of clicking uh, in, in that spot. That's the one thing. And he's got to do that because he's a power play guy. You look yep. at his stats in Chicago. The Wolves' number one power play right, guy and kind of toward the end of last season. Huge chunk of his points came, you know, five on four, five on three, whatever it might be, uh, man advantage. So that's that's a huge part of his game that, that he has to continue to show, uh, you know, during the preseason. But right now, he I think he's definitely the guy that's emerged in terms of you see him flash. Um, a guy like White Cloud, a guy like Jimmy Schultz, Jake Bischoff are a little, little more subtle, a little quieter game. Right. Um, it, it's harder to kind of see uh, what, they, what they really bring to it on, on television because they're not necessarily the one that's jumping up into the play and you know cranking a 100-mile-an-hour sl- slap shot that even if it misses the net, you know, smacks the glass and everybody in the the whole building is like, Oof. <laughs> you, you know, I, that's what Dylan Cotton kind of brings. You, you see it. Uh, so it'll be interesting kind of going forward, you know, again, sort of what they're looking for, what the pairings they want and how that's going to all fit together. Yeah, no, definitely. Like you said, those other three guys just have subtler games. Um, Druggle on, I mean, made sure to praise all three rookies that played in San Jose when I was there, which was White Cloud Schultz. And of course, Coglin. I mean, White Cloud and Schultz both had their moments where they stepped up, fired good hard wrist shots at Martin Jones. They look overall, I would say, good. I don't know if they're completely NHL ready. White Cloud has certainly shown a propensity to be physical, willing to put his body in front of guys. Schultz is obviously a little smaller, so he can't do that as much. We have seen him get power play time so they can see how he would look 
at doing that in the actual NHL. He did that in the one NHL game he played at the end of last year against the Kings, whereas White Cloud's been more of a PK guy. So we'll see. As you said, it's just kind of hard for me to shake all of that out right now, especially because one thing that we haven't talked about is how they might fit some of these pairs together in terms of like righty-lefty. Because right. Juan has said previously that we think Nate Schmidt plays better on the right side. We think Shea Theodore plays better on the right side. And then that leaves you with one more spot on the right where Derek England typically plays. But Coughlin is also a righty. White Cloud's a righty. So depending on how you might want to fit all of these lineups together or all these guys on one lineup sheet, that could get intriguing. It kind of depends what they actually do with Derek England this year. But that's something to at least keep in mind as they're kind of fitting this puzzle piece together. So it's weird. I'm like looking at these names and I'm kind of like saying, I wonder if listeners that haven't seen them like want a comparison or whatever. And so like in a weird way, it's not exactly the same. Like I don't think he's going to throw down the way that Derek England does. But like to me, in a way, Zach Whitecloud's kind of got some similarities to England's game. I think he's got a little more offense and, and things like that. But you know, if you're looking for a kind of style and fit and like for like, I think Zach Whitecloud's maybe the closest to to England. And then Bischoff, I think, is you know probably the closest to somebody like Holden. Right. Um, you know, a little more of a stay-at-home guy, but, you know, maybe can jump up a little bit. The one that's interesting to me is Schultz, and I still haven't, like, fully figured out kind of his game and and what he's, you know, comfortable and where, where he's trying to go with the puck, what he what he's sort of wants to do on the ice, I guess. Um, he's had some moments where I've seen it and been like, okay. And then I've had a couple other moments where, where I've kind of, you know, I, I don't know, not rolled my eyes, but definitely kind of – cringed or, or went, hmm, um, you know, for a guy that's on a one-way contract, I, I don't know. He hasn't, like, popped, I guess, the way that that, that maybe I would expect. But, maybe, but again, maybe that's just not his game. Um, and, and maybe the more I watch him, you know, the more I would learn, you know, some of those subtleties and things. But that that's part of the process for us, I think, and fans or whatever is to, you know, continue to watch these guys. We see him in glimpses. We see him kind of you know, in, in pieces of practice, you know, a game here, a game there. It's, you know, it's hard to like really fully come to, you know, kind of a conclusion, I guess, a lot about them when you see sort of half the story. Um, we don't see what goes on behind the scenes and, and how they're coached and video and, and all that other sort of stuff that, that goes into the process of, you know, making the team. So, you know, once, once that all gets finalized, we'll see. And, and like you said, it's sort of a puzzle that, that sort of comes together and, Obviously, like, I mean, the one the guy that we haven't talked about is Nick Haig because that's the big piece of this whole puzzle, like almost figuratively and literally because of, <laughs> right. you know, his size and and where he fits in. You know, you talked about Nate Schmidt. So Nate Schmidt, obviously, Jar Glant said we're going to play him on the right this year. Well, Nick Haig's a left-hand defenseman that's played on the left and has played most of the preseason, at least with Nate Schmidt so far. So, I mean, is that, that's definitely an NHL pair. Is that something... You know, we want to see, you know, that they want to see, you know, going forward. I, I would say it's interesting, you know, other than Braden McNabb, you know, like who are the left-hand, you know, left-side defensemen that really kind of jump out at you? You know, you've got Merrill over there. Right. You've got Holden that can play both sides. But it seems to me like if there's a spot that's kind of open, if there's somebody that's going to jump up and grab something, it's on that left-hand side. It's a left defenseman. Yeah, definitely. And so I think... Haig is kind of the key to all this because they certainly have tried to give him a long look 
so that he could prove that he's potentially ready for the NHL. I don't really know if he's grabbed it and like shown them like, yes, I am. I think there's still some subtleties to his game that he's working on. I think just consistency stuff, which I think just happens when you're a bigger guy who's learning how to use his body against grown men. Like That just takes time. That's a process. And I think we've kind of seen some, you know, glitches in the process so far in preseason games, which should 100% be expected. I mean, they threw him kind of in the deep end against the Kings on Thursday against some of their best players like, you know, Kopitar and just said, hey, kid, figure it out. And I'm sure his eyes were big when that first happened and he had those guys coming down at him on the ice. But that's the kind of pressure he's going to need to perform under in the NHL. I'm not sure if he starts the season with the team at this point, unless he can kind of improve over these past couple of preseason games. But I'm sure at some point we will see him in Las Vegas this year. So I get the feeling that he's actually going to start here, even though I, I think I kind of feel like maybe like Hoglin's outplayed him. Um, the reason I, I just feel like they've that Schmidt pairing has been so consistent. And, and I feel like now that, you know, Shea Theodore is back at practice and we'll kind of see. I think that's another piece that will come together a little bit here is once we see who Shea Theodore starts to consistently partner and, and then we can kind of say, oh, okay, well, you know, if Brady McNabb is with Shea Theodore and, you know, Derek England, say, on the third pair with, like, you know, Holden or Merrill, you know, if that's the sort of stuff that we start to see, well, then it becomes almost process of elimination that you right. go, well, Schmidt and Haig is, you know, pretty obvious pairing there. Um, you know, so if, if that's how it goes, you know, we'll see. But, you know, like I said, to re- reiterate, I really feel like that left side and – you know, once once Shea once once the Shea sort of partnership gets Shea Theodore partnership gets settled, and then you can kind of see who's on that left side because I feel like that's where the Nick Hague is just more needed. Yeah, I guess than Dylan Coughlin's needed on the right, if if that makes sense. No, I think that's fair. I mean, something we'll definitely, obviously, of course, be monitoring over the next couple of days. At some point here, I would assume they're going to do like kind of an initial cut out of those five defensemen. I can't imagine they're going to keep all five around for too much longer, but we'll see. I mean, as you said, kind of with Jimmy Schultz, uh, we don't know what his really NHL game is yet, and I don't think he knows what his NHL game is yet. It's I would agree ad- with that. I think he's still figuring it out too, yeah. It's an adjustment for all these guys. I mean, I actually talked to Braden McNabb recently for a story, and I mean, McNabb was like a point-per-game defenseman in juniors. It shocks me, really. Right, it's crazy, and then he got called up to the NHL and realized like, oh, I'm not going to be a point-per-game guy up here. I should actually work on, you know, getting back and hitting guys. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's turned uh, that into a nice career for himself. So a lot of these guys just have to figure it out once they're actually in the NHL and they figure out where they fit, where they can succeed, what their weaknesses might be, and how they can, you know, best hide them. SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50. Uh, So there's the defense. We'll move on to talk about the person behind the defense now. Uh, Their goaltender situation. The Knights have actually kind of settled this pretty early on in training camp, kind of in the middle of their preseason schedule. Uh, They sent Garrett Sparks and Oscar Donsk down to the minors. They put them both on waivers. They cleared. They're going to be with the Chicago Wolves this season, which means Malcolm Subban, is going to be the Golden Knights backup goaltender again. Are you surprised, Dave, that they just decided, like, just in the middle of camp, like, we're not going to p- kind of pretend that this is a competition. Malcolm, you got it. So the only reason 
I guess I'm not surprised is Garrett Sparks played well against Colorado. Now, that wasn't a very good team, but he played well. And if you kept him around and he gets another preseason game and he goes and hangs another shutout and another team all of a sudden loses a goalie, you could lose Garrett Sparks on waivers. So by doing it early, when nobody's looking for a goalie, you're able to get him through. It's kind of just, you know, you looked around the league, like somebody pointed out, you know, a lot of people, Louis Domingue from uh, Tampa right. Bay, Got who was down. their backup last year, he went through waivers. You know, they did it early. Uh, so it's it's kind of common practice, I guess, in that regard, when you have something that you're trying to get through. So if if just to kind of more inform everybody, I guess, if you pick somebody up on waivers, the way that actually the Knights did with Malcolm Subban, that player has to be on your 23-man roster. So, for example, if somebody wanted to claim Oscar Dansk or Garrett Sparks, they would have to put them on their 23-man NHL roster. They basically have to be their backup yes, goalie. Like, right. no question. So early on, that these teams already have their backup goalie kind of in their mind settled, you know, whatever. They're not looking for anything. So the Knights are able to kind of slip them through, get them down to the AHL, make sure they don't lose them. And then, you know, now at this point, they retain them. And if anything happens to, you know, Malcolm Subban, Marc-Andre Fleury going forward, obviously, you know, Garrett Sparks or Oscar Dance are going to compete in Chicago to to be the guy who earns the first call-up. Uh, so, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, it'll be an interesting competition, I guess, between those two, I think, more than anything. Definitely. You know, Sp- Sparks is just such an intriguing guy to me because his AHL record is so good. And I think there's a lot of potential there that if you're able to get him you know, healthy for one thing, because he wasn't healthy the second half of the season in Toronto. If you're able to, you know, get him healthy and give him, you know, basically a real chance. I mean, he's a Elmhurst, Illinois native. He's going back to basically, you know, for the minors, he's going back home. He's going to be comfortable. Everything's, you know, whatever. So if Malcolm Subban shows any sort of inconsistency, injury, you know, whatever it might be going forward, I think the Knights feel probably pretty good that, you know, they've got somebody, you know, waiting down there that, that can come up and, and, you know, take a game if he has to. Yeah. I mean, Kelly McCrimmon said before the preseason started that, you know, one, Malcolm Subban is our backup that bore out to be true. That two, kind of the moves they made to acquire Sparks this offseason was about strengthening their overall organizational depth. And I think you could certainly make the argument that they have now and that Sparks has the potential to be you know, a better third goalie than they've necessarily had over the past couple of years, or if Oscar Donsk beats him out in Chicago, then that's good too, because that's a pretty decent bar that Donsk would have to clear to kind of make that happen. The other thing that, of course, happened with the goalie situation is that we saw Marc-Andre Fleury for the first time this preseason. Saturday against the Sharks made his preseason debut where his postseason ended last year and looked, uh, I thought, pretty good against the Sharks. The funny part about it was is that Marc Andre Fleury did not think he I looked say good about the Sharks. You, right? He it was. It's always a great day when you ask Marc Andre Fleury, uh, "Hey, you looked pretty sharp early on. You know what allowed you to get in a groove?" And he's like, eh, "I didn't feel sharp at all." Yeah, he's like, "I was all yeah. over the place. Yeah. My no. angles were off." But he's like, "I guess that's good because I fooled you, right?" Little little knock to the ego there for the writer, but I mean, I thought he looked good, and there's a couple saves that that he just made look easier than they probably were, which is always a good sign. You know, that, that's always one of the things for me that I want to see. You know, I want to see a goalie make a hard save look look natural 
you know, be square, don't have to flail around and all that. Uh, I mean, he looked he looked pretty close to to you know what you'd want to see for for October second. I'm sure he wants another start though. Yeah, he did say he wanted another preseason start. He's like, there's just a lot of little things that you need to work on and kind of get experience against to really feel like you're ready to go. I mean, one thing he mentioned is like it's good to see different power plays. So I'm sure he would like to get a shot at basically not the Sharks because they also host the Sharks here at T-Mobile Arena for a preseason game. So I'm guessing he would like to see a different team that kind of structures their power play a little differently just so we can get back in the rhythm of like, you know, different ways guys are going to try to attack him. So I thought that was interesting. And, you know, he's Marc-Andre Fleury and he's, you know, as um, many players have said, the heartbeat of this team. So I'm sure he's going to get what he wants. Um, well, Dave, what I want to do now is to get out of here and enjoy our just glorious Monday free day. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to tear up the town. Before we do that, uh, a reminder again that Golden Edge Podcast is presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. Uh, we are the Golden Edge Podcast. We, of course, are back here every week, at least once a week. We might do a second one this week with a special guest, but we'll let you guys know more about that when the time comes until then he's dave shane i'm ben goats make sure to follow us on twitter at ben s goats and at david shane lvrj also our work is always on reviewjournal.com thanks for listening we'll catch you again real soon Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.